What's up, everybody? This is Rafael Garcia back on Thursday, August 3rd for another edition of the MMA Ratings Podcast. This is episode 52, and we are back to talk all things mixed martial arts. We got a lot to talk about this week, but first and foremost, I want to say hello to my co host, Juan Humes. How are you doing there, sir? I'm doing good. How about yourself? Doing good, man. Doing good. We had a pretty um, action packed weekend. Um, first and foremost, I'm going to ask you, uh, did you, uh, actually before I do that, let me go ahead and say thank you to everyone who listens to our show on a weekly basis. Be sure to like and share our content wherever you are catching us, whether it be on YouTube, um, YouTube, Twitter, uh, iTunes, um, wherever else, SoundCloud, wherever else we may be. Um, always like and share our content. We appreciate you listening to our work. And you can catch us on MMARatings.net on uh, Instagram and Twitter. As always, you can go to the website at MMARatings.net to catch us there too as well. But um, we got quite a bit to talk about there. Shawan, how about you? Um, first and foremost, what did you think of UFC 215? Did it live up to the hype? Yeah, it was a uh by far the best card they had as far as from top to bottom and essentially all the fights kind of went the way that we thought they would go as far as excitement there weren't really any any bad fights except for one one fight that kind of stood out and kind of ruined the momentum but everything else was a lot of back and forth action a lot of drama i don't think anybody said they left the uh event or turned it off and they were unsatisfied with what they paid for yeah, man, I, I think it, it lived up to the hype. And, you know, we're going to talk about Tyron Woodley and how that fight went down. But even regardless of How do you that, know I was talking about him? I could have been talking about any any other boring fight listen, on the Listen, 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 listen. We all know the deal. <laughs> Tyron Woodley's the only man to ever be a boring UFC champion and only only boring UFC um, fighter of all time. We know that, that that's the truth. Everyone else went in there and went out on their shield like, um, like they were Spartans or something like that. Tyron Woodley's the only problem that that they've ever had. But before we get to that, um, we got quite a bit to talk about from the event this past weekend. But first and foremost, I want to always jump in and start talking about um, news first, because a lot has happened since Friday. A lot of things have been said. So let's start there. Um, and first and foremost, I want to start with the I want to start with Tyron Woodley. So, of course, after UFC 215, he had the situation where him and Dana White um, were at odds. Dana White basically threw Tyron Woodley under the bus, um, talking about his fight. The probably the most poignant statement that he made was that nobody wants to pay, nobody would want to pay to see that type of fight. And Tyron Woodley fired back, saying, you know, that this isn't how he's supposed to promote his fighters. Basically, saying that he's willing to leak a bunch of shit, as he said, and put everything out there if Dana White didn't apologize. Supposedly those two have reconciled behind the scenes, but what were your thoughts on um, what Tyron Woodley said after the fight was over? Um, I, I was kind of shocked that he got so offended because, I mean, on a regular basis, Dana takes shots at, takes shots at fighters, and nobody ever sticks up for those fighters when, when they're getting dumped on, so it was kind of weird to me that Tyron got so offended. It's what Dana does. His response was a little concerning to me because let's just say he left the UFC for some reason or he need to go to another organization. This is the kind of stuff that gets you in trouble. You know, it's one thing to be difficult. It's one thing to mouth off. It's one thing to be boring. But to actually, like, threaten to blackmail your, your promoter, that, that, that's just not a good look. That, that, is, that just does, that doesn't seem very professional to me. It seems kind of petty. 
and it just seems like a road you don't really want to go down because clean life i don't know what people know about him but he could really put himself in the line of fire somebody else so you know since we're going to be leaking stuff maybe i'll leak some of your stuff you know what i'm saying it's just a really risky play to take whether it's a leverage thing or he's just trying to make it seem like dana can't intimidate him it's a really risky thing to do in my opinion and that's the thing because what's interesting about it is that right after he said that you know kobe covington came out swinging trying to cause a situation trying to basically get his name in the news saying that he has dirt on tyron woodley for those that don't know covington and woodley were former training partners over at att i think um covington has since left but regardless of the fact of who knows what I agree. I think that's not the way to go. Um, it's also, I also agree that it's not the way for Dana White to be throwing his fighters under the bus the way he did, but that's another conversation. You know, we've had this conversation over and over again. Um, Tyron Woodley has consistently taken a higher ground. It's kind of akin to what Demetrius Johnson said a few weeks, a few months ago, where he was basically like he's tired of being a company man and he's letting everything go. So it's interesting to see that, again, fighters are taking it upon themselves to be more and more vocal, to step outside the box, and to be willing to criticize the UFC. And it seems like they're always criticizing Dana White. They never really criticize the organization as a whole, but it's always Dana White whose names get gets thrown into the fire. So I'm not too surprised with this situation. I'm not upset with um, Tyron Woodley. I think he could have done it better, but, you know, it is what it is, and that's the case of that's the name of the game now. I appreciate them speaking out, but my whole thing is like, who told you to be a company man? Like, let's say they're speaking out now. You're speaking out because once again, you're being attacked. Your brand is being attacked. When he was bashing other people, I don't remember Tyrone Willie having nothing to say. I don't remember Demetrius Johnson having nothing to say when they said they were boring, when they said anything else. Nobody had anything to say. It's because it's affecting your pocketbooks. It's affecting your promotion. It's affecting your brand. Now you want to speak up. Now you're tired of being a company man. Nobody told you to be a company man. That's a choice you decided to make either because it's who you are or it's because you thought it would help you get paid. Either way, if, if that's who you are and now you're changing it, then that means, it, that, to me, that comes off a little fake. And on the other side of it, if it's just what you were doing to be successful, that comes off as fake too. It's like you're no, more, you're no better than the fighters you say who are just talking to get a title shot or who are putting you on a front to get sponsorships. You're doing the same thing. You were a company man so you can get better opportunities, you can get paid, not because it's what you believed in. And the, and the only point I have, with, I'm not a fan of Dana, and I'm really irritated with Tyron and John Jones because two weeks in a row, they're making me defend Dana White. But the fact of the matter is when Dana said something good about Tyron or he said something good about John Jones, you didn't, they, didn't have any, they, they didn't have a clap back for that. They co-signed it. Yo, Tyron had a great knockout. He co-signed that. But now that he's coming after him, now, he's got, now he wants to push back. Now Dana's an idiot. Now Dana needs to stop talking. You can't have it both ways. You can't say, it's cool when you support me and you build me up, but now you're criticizing me and I don't like that. You either accept the compliments and the criticism or don't accept the compliments and the criticism. It's like right now, Dana's an idiot, he doesn't know anything, but when he said you were a, a, a world level fighter or a great fighter or a great talent, then he knew what he was talking about. So he only knows what he's talking about when he's saying nice things, but he doesn't know what he's talking about when he criticizes you. That doesn't even make any sense. So, yeah, I think that this is, I'm wondering who else, you said something, you know, they, these guys weren't, they weren't so outspoken when Dana was talking about someone else. You know, they always get so heartfelt when Dana comes and he comes for them. So I definitely agree with you on that. I, I wonder what that would look like if fighters did begin speaking up for each other. How would that go down? Um, I think it would be something worth seeing. 
and I don't think it's going to occur. I just I just don't think that you know these guys are always go- and that's actually interesting because Tyron said this during the MMA hour. I don't know if you listened, but he was like he there's no way in hell he can be a part of a fighters union if it's okay for Dana White to continue doing this and nobody says anything. He actually said that during his rant on the MMA hour on Monday. He said this is a base this is a reason why he can never be a part of the fighters union. It kind of really stands out to what you said that he didn't say no one really says anything when when fighters are being attacked by the the promoters. No one comes up to each other's aid, but they wanna stand their ground when um, it's their turn to be to have their asses thrown into the fire. Yeah, well you said it last week. You said that's why they can't be a fighter union. Because every fighter is only on the side of themselves. You know, if somebody else gets sick and they can't fight, you start burying that person because you want to put yourself in the mix for that next title fight. You want to make yourself look better. When you, take a, when you take a short notice fight, when a fight gets canceled, that helps you. But if you win that fight, that kind of pushes the person who got injured or hurt down the line. They move back. So a lot of things fighters do go against each other. And I understand what Tyron's saying. I get it. You should stick up for each other. But once again, where was he when Dana was burying Jose Aldo? Where was he when Dana and Conor McGregor had their little tip? Where was Tyron Woodley when he was bashing Cyborg? He ain't say nothing. Now he's getting the heat. Now now he's the one under fire. And now that he wants people, nobody sticks up. You didn't stick up for other people when they were suffering. You didn't say nothing. You didn't come out and say, hey, you can't talk about Cyborg like that. Respect her. You ain't say nothing. He, ain't, he didn't say anything. And when Dana was saying nice things, him, Demetrius Johnson, when he said Demetrius Johnson was great and those fans who booed him are idiots, Demetrius Johnson didn't say, hey, shut up, Dana, you don't know what you're talking about. He said, yeah, see, he's on my side too. But now he's criticizing you and you got a problem. It's like, just be consistent. It's the same thing when they tell fans, you don't know anything. So you're going to tell me a fan who's never fought before doesn't know anything. When the fans say you're the best, oh, yeah, he knows what he's talking about. When the fan says you need to work on your jab, you never fought, you don't know what you're talking about. The, the, you know what I'm saying? The hypocrisy is right there. It's it's right there. So they 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 kind of create these own situations. They want people to stand up. Everybody's got to stand up. You got to stand up all the time. You can't stand up some of the time. You got to stand up all the time. And I don't know that he's willing to stand up for other people. If he had done that, I think a lot of people would have spoke up for him. But he's never done it. So I don't think anybody's willing to speak up on his behalf. Definitely no welterweight. Why would they? I mean, to, to be quite clear, just recently in the news, he kind of bashed Robbie Lawler. So he's saying stick up for people, and he turned around and just roasted that dude. It's funny because um, TJ Dillashaw kind of did the same thing. TJ basically went on a rant saying how he should be the next bantamweight contender and that how if he doesn't get a title shot, then the whole system's rigged. Well, what did he do? The minute Cody Garbrandt got hurt, he attempted to jump in line and jump in front of everyone to get a shot at, at the flyweight title. So, yeah, you know, that situation, these fighters are always going to be out for themselves, which I understand it, and I'm always – I'm, I'm always on board with athletes uh, taking a stand and taking a stance for themselves first and foremost. But this is what's going to make this difficult for any type of union or an association or something like that to come together and get started because these men and women are more out for themselves. And it's interesting. Well, I'm not going to get down, fall down that rabbit hole yet, but it, these athletes definitely do understand that this is a fighter's game and they're trying to get all that they can get for themselves um, rather than band together which is you know it's part of the game but they're not going to advance past this point until they can find a way to come together yeah it's not like a team sport where if your quarterback gets better the receiver gets better the receiver can catch anything within a 10 yard radius to him that helps him out of the offensive line your success 
isn't necessarily connected to the success of another fighter unless he's a money fight guy like a conor mcgregor at one point ronda rousey otherwise your success is is strictly based and built around yourself you have no incentive other than the fact that you're a good person to look out for other fighters and i'm not bashing the fighters i'm not saying they're bad people but they have no they have no financial incentive to protect other fighters correct so the only reason the only huh you're right yeah so the only reason they would do it is if they're really good people and yet still nobody does it so i don't know what that says Nobody does it, man. Nobody does it. So I want to um, keep moving because we're going to come back to Tyron Willie in a second. But Michael Bigsbing and uh, GSP, this is kind of the fallout of the Tyron Willie fight where now we're seeing that Bigsbing GSP is back on. When originally this fight was supposed to be off and GSP was going to fight either Maya or Willie, whoever came out of, of UFC 215 as the welterweight champion. And it's interesting because Tyron Willie called it. He said during the, pre- during the lead up, he said he doubts that that's the truth. He doesn't think he'll ever get that fight against GSP and this kind of really helps submit his claim that the UFC is quote unquote punishing him for the response to his performance and putting the super fight up uh, um, the quote unquote super fight with him and Biz being together again for UFC 217 even though it's a fight that people are kind of like meh towards uh, yeah they're not very excited about it but and I, I hate you I'm not really. I mean, the only thing the only thing that would excite me about it is based off the fighting, based off of what we've seen in the past couple fights. Bisping is big and strong. He presents some issues for JSP, but he's vulnerable enough where you could see GSP winning. With Woodley, the way he's performed, you know, I still believe he could beat GSP. But the same instance, he could just have a boring fight and essentially play it safe until GSP just ekes, ekes past him on points. But it wouldn't be exciting. It's like. Part of being a part of being a name guy and getting that fan base outside of yourself is putting on exciting fights. I mean, Conor McGregor had a fan base, but let's not pretend like he wasn't laying people out, and that that builds your that builds a story, that builds a fan base. Uh, Woodley hasn't knocked anybody out in a while, and he hasn't been particularly dynamic anytime soon. And they're trying to make the most. It's a business. They're trying to make the most money. Just like Woodley wanted to fight Michael Bisping, he was going to meet him at a catchweight. He's calling out Nick Diaz, who hasn't won a fight in years. They're trying to make money. Tyron Willie's trying to make money. And I'm not saying he's wrong, but he's getting mad at the UFC for doing the same thing that he's doing. He wants GSP, not because GSP is the best, because he's a money fight. He wants mm-hmm. Nick Diaz, not because Nick Diaz is the best. He wants a money fight. The UFC wants money fights. They want fights that are going to draw. Anything that's not going to draw, they don't want to make unless they have to. Woodley's not a draw right now. He's, his his, his um, popularity is at an all-time low. And instead of embracing it and becoming like a heel and really just playing that up, he's still kind of trying to play the, the Andre Ward, it's unfair, it's racial. And it could be, but that's not, that's not drawing a reaction from people enough to push sales where people want to see him lose, where people want to see him get beat up. They just don't like him. And that, that is, if they hate you, that, that drives pay-per-view sales. If they love you, that buys pay-per-view sales. So if they're so-so about you, that doesn't do anything. So he's getting, mad, he's getting mad at Dane in the UFC for doing the same thing he's doing, trying to get paid. Trying to get high yeah, ratings. Exactly. And he's out here trying to get paid in these streets. And I don't blame him, man. The game, the name of the game is prize fighting. It will forever be prize fighting. You win the most amount of money possible fighting opponents monthly, daily, yearly, whatever it may be. You're trying to make the most amount of money possible for the, in the shortest amount of time and staying healthy. That's what these guys are, are, are trying to do. So I don't blame them trying to um, make their money. I, I don't blame them, and I don't blame the organization. Everybody wants to get paid. Everybody can say about the legacy and whatever, but if it's all about legacy, he would just be the 
number one through number 10 welterweight. But he wants to get paid, too. He wants that crossover brand. I can't get mad at the UFC for doing it. Because if Tyron Woodley had his had his druthers, he would have picked Nate When he first won the title, I want to fight Nate Diaz and GSP. Why not fight Stephen Wonderboy Thompson? I want to fight. Uh, he hasn't accomplished what they've accomplished. They haven't fought in years, dude. But you, that's the first person he called out. So now he's mad because the UFC is trying to take their golden boy and trying to maximize his earnings. What's the difference between what they're trying to do and what he tried to do? I, I don't understand. There's it. nothing. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. Yeah, and he'll, and one last thing. The fighters always say the organization doesn't care about me. And and other sports say the same thing. Y'all don't care about the organization either. You know, you, as long as those checks get paid, y'all are cool. But if if Tyron, if they push, let's say they push Tyron, they put all the money behind him, and they promote a huge event, and then the event only does two hundred fifty thousand dollars, two hundred fifty thousand buys, is Tyron gonna be like, oh, I'm so sorry, I'll give the money back, I'll help you out? No, he's gonna be like, well, they did it wrong, they didn't go to the right demographic. There'll be another reason why it's on the organization. The organization isn't taking responsibility for their part in this, and Tyron isn't taking his part. He's saying, I just care about winning, I just wanna, da da da, whatever. But Y'all are both uh, y'all are both responsible, and nobody's taking any accountability. And his end, it's the organization's fault, or the organization's fault. They're saying it's his fault, but nobody's saying you know we could do this better on our side. Everybody's just saying the other person needs to improve, and they don't have any loyalty to each other. Whoever gets you paid is who you're loyal to. Conor McGregor gets them paid; they're loyal to him. UFC pays him; he's kind of loyal to them. You know, you see what I'm saying? It's like it's just nobody really is invested in anybody emotionally. It's all about business on both ends. Yeah, it's always going to be about business on both ends. And I don't, I, again, I'm with you. I don't blame any other parties involved. You know, these guys are here to make money. This organization is here to make money. Um, so when in, in the long run, that's what everyone's here to do. And I, I don't really blame them. Another way that everyone involved is um, trying to do their best to make money is this Dana White Contender Series. Did you watch on, on, on Tuesday? Uh, yeah, I saw some of it. I didn't get to see the whole thing. I saw some of it. What did you think about some of the highlights and what you saw? I was a uh, I forgot the guy's name. Ha- Phil Hawes, I think it is. He yeah. he, play, he fights out of Jackson. That guy was supposed to be the next John Jones. I and heard about I him did, years I ago. I, I I did too. And and he he came on. He went on Ultimate Fighter. Got beat by decision. And then he comes on that Contender Show and he puts some fights together. And you see him. He's so dynamic. He's so athletic. He just he looks incredible. And then every time the big lights hit him, it seems like he just folds up. And once again, he, he got beat. And it's just, it's amazing because he was considered the pro, he was John Jones' personal training partner, the guy who's going to take it to the next level. And nothing. That was the biggest shock to me. Just, just not, nothing. Ever since they put that label on him, he has accomplished essentially nothing. So keep talking to me about that and then like move into UFC 214. Let me know what you thought. Yeah, yeah. Um, once again, the biggest thing I feel about this uh, contender series is. I'm really waiting for the opportunity when they just get rid of Ultimate Fighter. I've, I've said this the past couple of weeks in a row. It's basically the Ultimate Fighter without the drama, without the alcohol, without the nonsense, without the back and forth bickering, without Dana giving speeches and fake drama to have matchups and I don't want to fight my team. It's the same thing every year and it's been the same thing for like, what, 10, 15 years? There's just, there's only so many ways you can do it and they've done it almost every possible way. They try to put every sort of a UFC contract a UFC title shot, a UFC title, a UFC, you know, a redemption. They spun every single story. They can't spin any more stories. And the worst part about it is, in the couple weeks we've seen this this contenders series, they've had better better quality of fights. They've had better quality fights. The only time the fight quality has been better is when you've had actual 
UFC level fighters fighting in the tough house, like where they have the straw weights. Everything else has been better on this show. One where there's no reason to have Ultimate Fighter. It's cheaper than running the Ultimate Fighter. It's getting a better quality of Ultimate Fighters than the Ultimate Fighter. It's more streamlined, it's more effective, and it's more popular. It's getting nothing but rave reviews. And it's helping build MMA, and it's helping build the brand, for Dana White's brand, and the UFCs. So I'm just hoping that the Ultimate Fighter goes away. Nothing against people who are on the show, but now people going on the show are trying, a lot of times they get personalities, they get people with a look and a style. They don't get the best fighters anymore. They don't get the best prospects. They get a couple good prospects and a lot of people who know to play the camera and have an interesting story. And as you see, when they come to Ultimate Fight, Ultimate, they come into the Ultimate Fighting Championship. A lot of these guys, they just don't last. They fall off very quickly. So, it's I think it's time to focus on the Contender Series and get away from the Ultimate Fighter as a whole. Um, I'm with you on that, man. I'm definitely with you on that. I, I think that they should get away from the Ultimate Fighter totally and stick with uh, the Contender Series, especially if they're going to do it in the seasons type format, because it makes it easier to follow and it gets you in and it gets you out. Um, I, I, you know, NFL is starting back up today. It's, it's Thursday night football, and I think Tuesday is one of the only nights where sports aren't very prevalent there. Um, it's usually like a basketball night, and I think it's also um, a hockey night as well. So they could fit it in uh, if they could find a proper placement for it. Hey, and Raphael, you, you, you fought a couple times, correct? Yes. Now, if you, had a chance, if you had a choice between going away from your family for six to ten weeks to compete on a show and go back and forth and deal with that drama, or just put some wins together and, and fight for one night on a contract, or at least get on the radar because you're on national TV, you're getting all this exposure, which would you choose? Man, easily, 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 the, the one night. Exactly. So now the, the Ultimate Fighter, they're, not gonna, they, they, they're already getting suspect prospects as it is because you've seen some of them, some of those series, it's been weak. The guys come into the UFC and they just get mopped up. So now they're not even get top, top line contenders. What's the purpose of the show? Except it holds up a division and takes away momentum from a division, especially if it's a champion. It's like there's no purpose for it anymore. You've got a clearly better version of the product, and there's no need to keep dumping money into this other one. The ratings aren't there. It's not pushing forward divisions anymore. It's just, in fact, you know, they could have done the whole flyweight division and worked it out through the contender series. That would have been extra ratings. But, yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. it really would have been extra ratings, but the contender series is kind of, like, I think it's going to, it's going to, continue building access to fight pass and it's going to be something that that's worthwhile i hope they keep it as the way they have it right now and they keep it on ufc fight pass and they keep it kind of like like the the the, the small realm it's the only thing attached to dana white's name that all fans agree is a great idea before they're like oh another fight show by dana now everybody's like oh my god it's the greatest site it's, it's the best thing dana's ever done it's the only thing that dana's done that, that everybody in mma is cool with everybody in mma is supporting and can't wait to tune in and not just the UFC's promoting it, anybody who's connected to it because everybody wants to know who the next big fighter coming up is, they're promoting it. On Twitter, all you see is clips of such and such is going to fight tonight from people not even connected to the UFC. It's, it's quite the phenomenon, actually, and I'm, I'm very impressed that Dana came up with this. It, it's genius to me. It definitely is, and um, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what's next from that. So let's move on, and let's um, talk about UFC 214. And let's start right at the top, where we have John Jones regaining his light heavyweight title by a head kick knockout in the – well, head kick to ground and pound TKO in the middle of the third round. Um, what were your thoughts about this fight? I got a couple of different questions for you, but just initial takeaways. What, what did you see, and, and um, talk to me about that. I was, well, as you know, before the fight, I, I said it was a bad matchup for Cormier 
that even if he improved, he had to improve light, light years to make up for the gaps in technique and the physical stature. And when I watched the fight, I I was watching it, paying attention to Twitter, and everybody kept telling me like, "Oh, Daniel's getting to him. He he's beating him up." I didn't know what they were talking about. I had no idea what these people were talking about when I was watching that fight. I was like, the same thing that happens is always happens with Jones. Jones is willing to give up a couple rounds. All I saw him was banking in shots, taking his time, controlling the pace, working for an opportunity to close out the fight. I was like, Daniel's doing fine. He's going to lose this fight. There's no way he wins this fight. I said that from the two minutes in the first round. I'm like, there's no way he wins this. It's, our, it's already over. And, and I just kept hearing from people I respect how tight this fight was and how great he was doing. And I, I just didn't see it. I thought he improved. I thought he fought very hard. I thought he, he did the best job he could do, but he wasn't anywhere near close to beating Jones at any point in that fight. Not at any point was he close to beating them. I definitely think he looked better, um, but I agree with you. I, I had it, um, I think, one round each going in, into the third with John, Jones kind of pulling away. So I think it, it was looking pretty interesting. It was looking a, a little different from the first fight, but not overwhelmingly. Uh, oh my God, DC is kind of taking is, is running away with it. Um, so I'm not. I'm su- surprised that it ended in a finish though. I thought it was going to be a five round fight with um, Jones probably taking four other rounds, but seeing that finish, uh, it kind of let me know that. I think Jones is Jones is back. He looks a lot better, uh, and I'm hoping he's taking this seriously because we're going to talk about his next challenge next. I, I said last week if if, if he if Cormier is going to lose it is going to be is going to be a finish. I didn't see how that he could make it through five rounds because everybody kept talking about how Cormier's done this and he's done that. But the fact of the matter is he's two years older. He was already having injuries and problems before. He's already had stamina problems before. He had a bunch of tough fights, you know, three t- three really tough fights in a row, taking a lot of abuse and punishment. I didn't see how he was just going to come in there and all of a sudden make up the age difference, make up the skill difference, and make up the actual the actual coaching difference in between their two camps. Uh, I said it before, I think AK is a good camp, but some of their coaches lean a little bit too much on their the physical abilities of the fighter. And that's what they did with, da- with uh, Daniel. He's at heavyweight, he was a lot faster than everybody. He's more dynamic. He was more fluid, had more balance, could kind of dominate just based off of athleticism. At light heavyweight, that gap isn't as wide. At heavyweight, he hardly ever got touched. But even though he was fighting much more accomplished fighters, he hardly ever got touched. At light heavyweight, he was getting touched from, from day one. Only guy who didn't really rough him up was Daniel Henderson. But every other, every other top guy he fought had put hands on him and put shots together on him routinely. And Jones was no different. The biggest issue is... For Daniel to be effective, he has to get into a certain range. He's not good enough at get, working his way into range to maneuver, block, defend, slip, parry Jones's offense to get in there clean and get his offense off and either use his footwork to stay in there to match Jones's movement so he's stepping with him and catching him, or he can get all the way back out without getting caught. What happens with Daniel is he gets stuck on the outside, chopped up, he's coming in, he's getting chopped up all the way in, when Jones sidesteps, pivots, or backs up, basically Cormier is getting chopped up all on the way back out. So the whole time he's taking punishment. Jones is only taking punishment in key spots, right in that boxing range. And even then, because of Daniel's footwork and how he sets up his shots, he's kind of reaching, he's kind of leaning, they're kind of glancing shots. And the whole time he's just getting stuck, chopped up by Jones, especially to the body. And that, that was the main difference. Jones could hit him and damage him from any spot in the cage, at any range, 
and Cormier was only really effective from one range. And just to get into that range, he had to work really hard to get into that range. He had to work hard to stay in that range. Then he had to work hard to reset that range to get back in it because Jones would either circle out or move back. And the whole time he's finding this range, getting in this range, and staying in this range, he's getting attacked at every single range. He's getting attacked outside. He's getting attacked at boxing range. He's getting attacked at clinching range. He's getting attacked right back on boxing range. It's just, it's just too, much, it's too much work. He has to do too much work to get to the spots he's successful in. And he has to take too much punishment on the way to getting to the spots he's, he's successful in. That's, that's twice as much work, just right there. All Jones has to do is wait for him to get to this one spot. That's the only spot he's in danger in. The rest of the time, Jones is good. He doesn't have to worry. He doesn't have to push. He doesn't have to work extra hard. He just has to pick his spots and show some poise because Daniel's not a KO puncher. Daniel's not finishing anybody with one shot. So you have all these things in the back of your mind to give you a, mar a bigger margin for error than Daniel Cormier has. So talk to me about what's next. We have an opportunity now for the rematch that we've been waiting for with John Jones and um, Alexander Gustafson. That's what everyone is leaning towards. Is that the fight that, that you make immediately, or do you try to wait six months to make that fight with uh, Brock Lesnar? Talk to me about that for a second. Well, I mean, I, I think the fight with Gustafson could be made. I mean, I don't think it's a big seller. I mean, and Gustafson hasn't looked spectacular since. I mean... Think about it. After he he lost he lost to Jones, he got knocked out by Johnson. He got beat by Cormier. He uh, went life and death with Glover Teixeira. I mean, he hasn't looked particularly standout dominant, and he hasn't really beaten anybody who would be considered a top three light heavyweight. The top two light heavyweight and the top three light heavyweight he lost to, Cormier and Johnson. So he hasn't really beaten anybody who says that he's ready for Jones. I mean, the, the way Jones beat Cormier, Cormier coming off a 15-month layoff tells me that he's still like years ahead of Alexander Gustafsson. The main thing with Gustafsson represents is his style. His style is kind of difficult to resolve. To resolve, but Jones is like Jones has had a whole. He's fought him for five rounds, and Jones has had nothing but to do except work on his skills, watch tape, and prepare. I, I don't really know that Gustafsson has any more for him than he did before. I haven't seen any noticeable growth in his skill set, whether it's his footwork, his offense, or his wrestling. That says that if Gustafson fights Jones, he's gonna do any better. I would think it'd be something like with Dan with Daniel Cormier, he might be a little bit better, but he's just gonna get beat again. So it's a safe fight for Jones, in my opinion. Uh, I don't think he waits six months. He said he mentioned money when he was talking about uh the fights afterwards. So I assume he wants to get paid again. But um, and that's only and you know I know they're waiting for Brock, but I don't I don't we don't even know if that's a guarantee. We don't know the how long that takes for the whole process and everything to get signed and set up. But, I mean, he'd probably have to take a fight in the minimum. You don't want to be off 15 months, have one fight, and be off another six months. That's 21 months of inactivity with only one fight. And I know Brock would be inactive too, but he's he's coming from a different position. He's not trying to continue an MMA career. He's trying to have a cash grab. So it's a yeah, little bit different. And what's interesting, too, is also, you know, there's that story that came out today that um, Jim Ross and Dave Meltzer are saying that John Jones is looking for a WWE payday as well. So I think that there is a way that, that they could slowly build this up over six months to give Lesnar the opportunity to work out his suspension information with uh, USADA. Um, I think that they're going to make the, the Gus Austin fight first, though, um, probably for early next year. Uh, and I'm not 
going to disagree with that. I would like to see that rematch, also, especially because one of the main talking points coming out of their first fight was that Jones didn't take the fight seriously, that he was out partying and stuff like that. So I would like to see if he's really going to like knuckle down and take this fight seriously this time around. I think it would be an interesting story to watch unfold. I can uh, I can agree with you that Gustafsson does hasn't looked a lot different than this time around. He's looked he I mean he's had some good performances like the battle against Glover Teixeira that he had, but uh, it's it's still like you know you wonder what these guys look like the second time around, what Jones will look like. Um, and he he looked good uh, last weekend, so I'm 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 only hoping for the best going forward, and that we continue to see this guy develop. I mean, he's only 30 years old, so we still have a lot of time to see how great he gets over, over um, the, the duration. One, the one thing we for, we forget about him, and I started to interrupt you. One thing we forget about Jones is a lot of people were bashing, saying like, you know, Daniel looked really good. I heard Michael Bisping kind of downplaying how uh, Jones is fighting, but the way Jones is fighting, his the cerebral aspect of his skill set of his mind is what is actually gets down played. Everybody keeps focusing on the athleticism, the creativity, the series of strikes, all the range, and those things are great tools, but there's been guys with his, with his height and superior athleticism. Why have they not done what he's done? They don't have the mentality. They don't do the homework. They don't process information as well. They don't have the mental toughness when taking those kind of shots or being heavily pressured. That's what really separates them. And I haven't seen a guy in the light heavyweight division who's got a comparable progression and a thought process and a structure to how they fight. Jones has one. Like I said before, he will lose rounds to win the fight. Most of these guys are fighting life and death to win rounds, and they figure if I win enough rounds, I win the fight. They don't know how to fight with a sense of strategy. If they lose a round, they feel like they've lost control, so they got to get it right back. They're kind of predictable that way. Jones can get it right back, or he can sit back and let you take another round to get you right where he wants you. That left he that, that head kick he landed, that was a direct result of all the, that constant, steady body work he was doing on yeah. Cormier. Had he, had he been throwing head kicks like he usually does, that wouldn't have landed. But he, he set him up, body, 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 for two rounds straight. Then the first head kick he throws, bam, puts him out. Definitely. And then, and then fights after, he talked about how Johnson had got him with that. So he's doing the kind of research. He's watching these guys fight. And he's got two years of footage of watching Gustafsson, Cormier, everybody fight. So he's been breaking these guys down. He's, he's been like a mad scientist. And I don't know that these guys have been, since they've been actively fighting, I don't know they had the time or the wherewithal to do the same to him. And that's, that's, that's where the difference is. That's why I don't have as much interest because I'm like, what is this guy going to do better? How has he grown as a fighter? I haven't seen it. So, And I think that that's also a, a, a positive review of his camp as well, that not only is his camp doing an excellent job of breaking down his opponents and finding ways to defeat them that no one else's camp has been able to find that same weakness within Jones. I mean, other than Gustafsson in that first fight, Jones hasn't ever looked really in danger. Um, so it'd be interesting to see if the camp can, if they, if Gustafsson's camp can do it again, if they can really break the fight down. But um, talk to me about that. What do you think that, that they should really be working on if this fight should happen? Uh, with Gustafsson, the main thing I know is, is it's the main thing is, I've, a lot of it is his conditioning, and it's not just because he's in bad shape. His footwork isn't very good. He wastes a lot of energy moving around aimlessly. When he gets pressured really hard, he runs away, and, and he spends a lot of nervous energy because he doesn't have the right positioning. He doesn't pivot correctly. He doesn't know how to feint with his feet. He doesn't know how to do the variety of things that allows you to slow a fight down or allows you to block and defend and get away from strikes without running all over the cage. When Go Glover threw a punch at him, he jumped back two feet. When he was running from Glover, he was full out sprinting. You can't do that for two minutes in a round, much less for a whole round back and forth, and think your cardio is going to hold up. 
you know, I mean, I'd, if I was them, I'd work on his defense. You know, he'd have to change up his thing where he's actually working an active defense. I've seen him against much less skilled offensive fighters getting chopped up. Good things he does. The movement's good. The fact that for the most part he doesn't concede ranges. Like he'll he'll punch, he'll work in the clinch, he'll kick. But he doesn't do any of those things at a high enough level. And it's really hard to develop the conditioning. If you've never done something, it's like grappling. If you never grappled, you can learn how to grapple a little bit before a fight. But how are you going to develop that mental and physical conditioning that comes with grappling every day if you haven't done it? You don't just pick it up in six months. You don't pick it up in three months. And, and much like Cormier, the whole fight is just a bad style matchup. Gustafsson is essentially a boxer who moves around and uses his length and range and gets in clinches and kind of rushes you up, takes you down. I, I don't I don't know that he has the mental skill set and the mental awareness to really improve to the points he needs to to beat Jones because he hasn't shown it so far. You know, and they all say, well, we're holding back, we're hiding things. You're not hiding anything. You have to show the skills that you have, and he hasn't he hasn't shown anything. He's gotten by on having a good chin, being very active, throwing a lot of volume, and being t and and basically just wearing guys down. He hasn't shown a whole lot of, of submission skills. He hasn't shown a lot of transitional wrestling, chaining takedowns together. He hasn't shown a lot of excellent counterpunching or defense or, or parries. It's been really, it's been the same guy he was two years ago. He might be in a little better shape. He might throw a little bit cleaner on offense, but he's just as hittable. His footwork's just as bad. His takedowns are hit and miss. His takedown defense seems a little bit better, but who's he been defending takedowns against for the most part? So when people, if you ask me what he needs to do, I would, I, I pretty much would have been working the whole time on his whole game, specifically defense, his defensive footwork, and his ability to throw kicks consistently and frequently up and down the body. Because you have to meet Jones at his range. If you have to constantly get into range, do your work, Jones is going to make you pay because he can fight you at your range and he can fight you at his range. The biggest thing for him is learning how to defend better at every single range, work get into range without getting chopped up and extending his range as far as his weapons and having some more offensive diversity. Those would be the three biggest things I, I would work on with him. But I haven't seen any of that growth in him against lesser athletes and lesser strikers. So I, it's hard for me to believe in three months he's going to turn into a whole other fighter versus Jones. And once again, he doesn't have knockout power either. Like real legitimate Anthony Johnson knockout power. He might score a bunch. He might put a lot of pressure on you. But he's not gonna, he, he doesn't really finish guys who are known... For having good chin and i think once jones acclimates jones starts chopping him down the same way he chopped down cormier very similar fashion he might not get the knockout but round two or three round late mid round three the fight's going to turn and that's when it's going to start getting ugly and um like i was saying i don't i don't know gustafson's camp very well they seem, they seem very good, but like I said, uh, the biggest problem with a lot of camps is they wait until a fighter has a fight before they start working on different skills. And they work on it for that specific fighter. In my opinion, you need to be working on skills on a consistent basis. You need to always be working on the defensive guard, uh, working for the top position, passing guard, working on extending your range, working on your defense, working on active counters, working on your pressuring footwork, working on your transitions. You can't wait until late into the game until a fight is scheduled before you start making these adjustments. It needs to be a constant, steady level of improvement. That's what I believe John Jones does. He's constantly working on new things, even when he doesn't have a fight schedule, even when he's taking a break. He's watching film. He's mentally preparing. He's getting in better shape. He's working on different techniques. He's working on different ways to apply the same techniques. 
He's working on his cage IQ. And that's why when the fights come and he gets in under in pressure filled situations, he knows what to do because he's constantly he's trained until he's second nature. None of these other guys are doing that. All these other guys are waiting until they have a fight schedule and then they try to add on the new skills. Jones is constantly Jones is constantly layering his skills off time, downtime, recovering from injury. He's always adding something. So when the pressure gets put on him, he can pull the trigger. These other guys can't because they haven't drilled it and learned enough. So let me ask you this then, man, um, and you may have touched on it. Has that, what, year off that he was gone from the sport, has that really hurt his game, or has he gotten better because he was able to keep training and keep learning during that time period? The biggest part, I think, it, 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 if it would hurt his game, it would have been rest and his timing. You can't make up for real fight timing, but the biggest thing it helped him out is he's got a whole, he had, like, what, two 15-month breaks? That means he wasn't taking any punishment. Yeah, he was sparring and stuff, but he wasn't taking any punishment. And, and and I think a lot of what happened to Daniel is because he's getting older and he's been taking a lot of shots. Think about how many times Glover Teixeira has been knocked out since John Jones has been out. Think about how many times Rashad Evans has been knocked out. How many shots that Gustafson's taken. You can only have so much mileage on your body and chin before it starts going back against you. Jones hasn't had any of that. He's just been resting, getting in the best shape possible, and learning new skills and being prepared for the biggest challenge of his life. So, it, 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 in a lot of ways, I think like Dominic Cruz, it helped him. It, it just helped him get sharper. It helped him get more aware. It helped him refocus. And it helped him figure out new ways to apply the new skills that he's learning every single day. So, when we talk about new skills, let's talk about Tyron Woodley, who... It's funny because you um, mentioned it a couple times in the past that you didn't think his takedown abilities or takedown defense was that great. Well, what, how, how do, you, do you still feel that same way after... Um, after a Saturday's fight, I'm kind of I'm kind of conflicted because he did defend to defend, defend 20, 20 takedown defense attempts is pretty impressive. It's like you can't to not get taken down even once. That essentially proves that you know your takedown defense is great because I mean, Damian Maya has taken down multiple other people. You know he's taken down Jorge Masvidal, who's a good got takedown defense. Matt Brown, um, Jake Shields. He's taking down lots of guys, and he's finished them all. Rick Story is another guy he took down to finish. The same in the same instance. This is MMA, and since Damian Maya is so one-dimensional on the feet, it's there's only you don't really have to worry about anything else coming in. You can almost exclusively defend the takedown. So it's like it's very impre- It's still very impressive, and it's kind of improved my opinion of his takedown defense. But in a fight, when the only thing you really have to worry about is essentially one punch, and Damian Maya is not very good at transitioning. From striking into grappling, it, it kind of takes away some of the shine of it. But it, I mean, it, I'm still impressed by it because he was able to maintain his focus and his distance and his timing and his range. But Damian Maya isn't the most complex takedown artist. And the way Woodley was doing it, where he's up against a fence, if you sit out against the fence a little bit, it gives you a little, gives a little bit of give and makes it hard because they have to pull you off the fence to get you down instead of being in, you know, in the center of the center of the octagon where you could get takedown. And, to be fair, he did grab the fence one time. Damian Maya pretty much had him down. He did grab the fence. It only been one time, but still, that could have been, that's all it takes with Damian. Yeah, it definitely did look like I, I know exactly which one you're talking about. Um, he it, it went pretty quickly, but it did look like he had um, a quick grip of the uh, fence. Yeah, I, I actually have a different I, I take because a lot of people I've been fighting with a lot of people on Twitter about Tyron Woodley because Tyron was saying how he's essentially a better version of GSP. And uh, I've actually made a comparison, and, and our good friends on Heavy Hand, um, Connor Rebush, we were talking about it on Twitter, and the thing I said, the difference between 
Woodley and GSP is this. Woodley keeps you from doing what you want to do. GSP stops you from doing what you want to do. Damian Maya wanted to take Woodley down, so Woodley used his footwork. He backed up. He threw strikes to care accordingly to kind of keep him out and to make him hesitate, make him have to think before he got in there. And he kept Maya from the position and the places that would essentially get him to take downs. If he was fighting GSP, GSP would stop the attempts by being more active with kicks, low kicks, body kicks, jabs, and using his own takedowns on Damian Maya. He would stop what Damian Maya is trying to do. Damian Maya wouldn't have 20 takedown attempts on GSP. And I think that's where some of the interest in Tyron wanes a little bit because he does, he neutralizes you. But once he neutralizes you, he doesn't do anything to finish you, nothing actively. Like if you fight dumb and walk into a shot, he'll finish you. You you take a bad takedown and he can sprawl you out and pound you out, he'll do that. But he won't take any sort of chance or any sort of risk in finishing you. And I think that's where people's frustration comes in because he's younger than Maya. He's more explosive. He's one of the biggest hitters in welterweight. And he had Maya totally shut down, and he couldn't do anything to have an explosive moment in the fight, like a real dynamic explosive moment. He did enough. He clearly won, but he didn't do anything where you sit there and you're like, wow, this guy's an animal. And he was, he, he was clearly the superior fighter in this fight, and yet he couldn't, he couldn't evoke any moment, of, uh, the moment in the fight as far as the action. Well, what, what, what amount do you put on him for his uh, shoulder being injured and you know it's come out that he may have a torn labrum and they're not sure how long he may be out what are your thoughts on that impacting uh, his performance uh, once I heard that I mean that makes sense that makes sense unfortunately because of the way he's performed so often he just he's not gonna he's not gonna get the benefit of the doubt on that even if it's true it's just people aren't gonna give him the benefit of the doubt I, I, to be honest I've never been the biggest Tyron Willie fan but I'm very impressed with the his ability to execute, ability to come up with a game plan and to never get away from it. No matter how much success he's having, he will never get away from the game plan he has. And there's, there's not many fighters who are that coachable. There's not that many fighters who are that disciplined and that meticulous in their preparation that he doesn't allow any circumstance, any boo, any frustration to have him act out of character. I'm very impressed by that. But just because I'm impressed by it doesn't mean I essentially have to be a big fan of it. I'm a fan of it as, as a person who observes fights, who breaks down fights, who works with fighters. As a, just a casual fan, it's it's awful to watch. It is just awful, boring, uneventful to watch. And uh, once again, I, I heard this on our friend of the show, Patrick Wyman, on the Heavy Hands podcast. He mentioned the way Woodley fights, it's very, very every fight is going to be, if you look at it from a certain perspective, every fight, he could lose every fight. Even against the fight with um, Thompson, everybody was like, Thompson might have won the first one. Thompson might have won the second one because not a lot is happening. And when you're a guy who basically wins fights basically by taking things away from people, depending on who's watching the fight and how much aggression the other guy's putting out, eat yourself. And think about it. If Damon Maia could have put a little bit more offense together on the feet, you could have had an argument where he would have won the fight. He was the aggressor. You, t- you take 21 sh- 20 shots for takedowns, you're clear. You're clearly aggressor. Tyron's backing up against the cage. If he could land clean hard shots around, there'd be an argument to be made that Damian Maya won that fight. He was clearly aggressor. He clearly controlled the cage, and he was the one putting pressure. And he was landing shots. He just didn't land enough of them. But he was controlling where the fight took place at. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't get it down. But he was still. Tyron didn't come off the fence. Tyron wasn't actively trying to counter or chase him. An injury or not, the judges don't know that. So it's very easily one of these days he could fight one of these close tight fights, not really get beat up, but still lose the decision based off of the perceived aggression of the person he's fighting. 
Yeah, I'm not going to disagree with you there because um, some people were. I saw someone actually saying that Damian Maya had won a couple of other rounds heading into round three, so it can definitely be perceived one type of way. Uh, all he needs is the wrong judges in his in well, around he, the cage. He got one takedown. Eventually, Damian got one clean takedown to control them. Control them. I mean, you never know. That might have been it. That might have been the difference. Because true. Could you imagine the, just... the foolishness that would have occurred had had he lost that fight via? Uh, Split decision or something like that. Yeah. Oh, Ty, he would have had a fit. He would he would have had a fit, but then it would have been hard for him to play the racial angle because Damian Maya is Brazilian and and the UFC is not very kind to most Brazilian fighters to be fair either. But he would he would have had a fit, and a lot of people would have been like, "That's what you get for trying." Yeah. To, that's what they said. That's what you get for trying to play a game and point fight instead of coming out the finish. That's a that's a good point there, man. So like, let's let's talk about someone who did finish. We got Cyborg and Tanya Evans. Um, Cyborg finished in I think the third round. Uh, break down that fight for me there. What did you see? Uh, I, I actually had a bet with a friend of mine going that Avenger would last into the third, but they didn't believe it. So, I mean, it looked exactly like I thought it would look like uh, three rounds three rounds through the fight. Before I, before I get into this point, I want to I wanna highlight the similarity between the Avenger fight, the Avenger cyborg fight, and the Woodley-Maya fight. Both of them were essentially trying to do the same thing, control the pace, Keep from being taken down, keep from being extended grappling exchanges. But one fighter managed to close the show and make it fairly exciting. And the other person doing the exact same thing was unable to do, to get the same result. Even though they were fighting, not the exact same fighter, but fighters who had a lot of similarities as far as how they fight, be where they fight best, being on win streaks, and uh, their biggest skill set. There's, there's a lot of similarities between these two fights. But um, Cyborg, she just fought a disciplined fight. The thing I like about Cyborg is even though she's a superior athlete, she fights like she's an in, she trains like she's an inferior athlete. She's always working on her boxing, her footwork, getting her hands a little bit tighter, getting her setups and her feints, establishing a jab. She works on grappling from bottom positions and neutral positions. She works on having top control, getting takedowns, defending takedowns. And that's what I like about her because she understands that as a fighter, even if you're the superior fighter physically, at some point, you're going to lose a step. At some point, somebody's going to come up and be able to close the gap on you. So you have to have all your skills. And you have to have them to the point that when you're under duress, you can apply them. And so when she came to this fight, she didn't go balls to the wall because she knows that Avenger is a tough, gritty fighter. And if she just blew all her energy trying to for finish earlier, early, and she's tired, Avenger's all over. If Avenger gets her down, when she's fresh, Avenger's tough to get off her. But if, she, if Avenger gets her down and she's tired, trouble because Avenger is a grinder she will beat you up she will chip you up she will find a way to finish you so what Cyborg did was she established a range she started chopping Avenger up at range landing power shots when she could when it was safe downs it wouldn't expose her to get getting in tie-ups or clinches with her and she just took her time placed her shots put some power on them when she needed to and eventually set up the opening for the finish that's all she did it was very to a lot of people considered it boring they said she lost a step I believe she did that on purpose because she's trying to show off more of the skills. And the best time to work on the skills outside of sparring is when you're in a live fight and you're against somebody who you don't know what they're going to do and how they're going to respond. You can test out the skills in a live situation against an opponent who's only got really one or two ways to beat you. So it's kind of a safe, safe time to work on that jab, work on that footwork, work on placing the shots because you're not under a real threat. And that's what she did. She fought very smart. She fought a masterful, efficient, devastating fight and a lot of fans didn't want to see it. they wanted to see her maul that girl but cyborg has a lot of had a lot of the lines cyborg can't afford to lose at this point in her career we talked about that last week 
she can't afford to lose. If she would have yeah, lost, that would be catastrophic. She has a, a lot to a lot. She has a lot to lose, as you pointed out. And I think she did what she needed to do to get the win. She has. I mean, now her UFC contract is up, so they really got to pay her at, at this point in time. So it'll be interesting to see what type of deal she gets out of this situation and what happens next for her in the near future. But I know she's going to uh, the UFC is going to, have to pony up a lot of money if, if they want to keep her on their roster. She's, she's at the height of her power. She's a UFC featherweight champion. She had a decisive, impressive win on the biggest card they've had this year, and she's still, what, year, what, how many, seven, ten years undefeated? So, I mean, she's got all the cards in her favor. She did what she had to do, and now she's in a position where UFC's going to have to pay up or somebody's going to pay, and she's not connected to anybody. So all that, she's a Vanderlei in a dress. Oh, it's coming time to pay for that. It's UFC's going to have to pay for every comment. It's come time to pay. And two other guys that got paid, they gave us what they wanted. They, they gave us what the crowd wanted was uh, Robbie Lawler and Donald Cerrone. Uh, this was a great fight to me because I definitely love the way Robbie started out quickly. It's well known that Cerrone is a slow, slow, slow starter. And Robbie took full advantage of that. And he almost, I mean, he almost had an opportunity to close the show early. Yeah, yeah. Donald showed a lot of poise, a lot of grit. I mean, after that knockout loss to Masvidal, and I'm a, I'm a Game Bread fan, but Game Bread don't the way the way he laid out Cerrone kind of scared me because Game Bread don't hit like that. He didn't hit like that at 55. I know he don't hit like that at 70. And he when he when Cerrone went down, it's like someone shot him. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's how he fell. So I, I was concerned that when if Robbie came right out and jumped on him, that would be the end of the fight, and it was close to it. But um, the biggest thing that happened in the fight is the same thing that always happens with with um, Cerrone. Cerrone. He fights a lot, and that's what got him his popularity. That's what gets him all these paydays. That's what keeps his timing so sharp and his mind so sharp. But when he fights all the time, if you notice at the beginning of these fight streaks he goes on, he looks really great. Around the, around the third fight of that streak, he starts looking awfully shaky. And that's what happened the, first, the last time. He looked really shaky against Matt Brown. He comes in against Massival and gets wiped out. This time he had some months to train. He, got, he worked, added some new skills, got time to heal, got time to recover, get in the best shape possible. And he came, came in looking like a brand new Cerrone. He was a little bit sharper with transitioning between takedown attempts and strikes. His footwork's a little bit better. His defense was a little bit better. His counters were, were a little bit sharper. And that's all stuff that takes time in the training gym. You can't do, no matter how much you fight, no fighting keeps you sharp. But fighting doesn't allow you to add new skills because you're trying to fight to survive and to win. You can't do both. You have to have time to train. And he had time to train and you saw the, you saw the results of what he had. When he fought Robbie, and Robbie's a big, Robbie's still a big puncher, but Donald was able to navigate that for the most part, went around, and it and make it to the end of the round, a third round, without getting KO'd and without really, really getting beat up. He was he was losing the fight, but he didn't get massacred. He wasn't brutalized. He could fight another two months and be right back in things. But um, that that was a difference. He had taken time off to actually work on his skills. The biggest concern for me about both of them is they're really close to the end. Robbie's not as dynamic as he used to be. He's not as sharp. He's got his defense a little bit better with his, all his experience in fighting. He knows the right time and right places to work his game in. And he's another guy who's willing to lose a round to win a fight. But it's clear he's not the athlete he used to be. And he doesn't have the accuracy or the snap that uh, he, he once had in his shots. Robbie from two years ago, he would have got Cerrone in trouble. That would have been it for Cerrone. Yeah, definitely. And, because uh, Cerrone looked like he was ready to go earlier in that fight. But it just didn't go down that way. And Cerrone, he's lost some of his. He's never been the toughest guy. I said that last week. He's never taken the best shot, but his resistance has gotten a little bit worse. The only thing is, unlike a lot of guys who kind of plateaued and once they start, started declining, then they start adding skills. Cerrone's been adding skills over the entirety of his career. 
and he's been fighting a lot, so he's been kind of forced to use them. So Cerrone's got a big enough skill set, a big enough tool set, where he can protect himself from the kind of old decline he's at. But he's still declining, and I figure both of them got, what, another, maybe another year or two in at, at an elite level, maybe another one? Because, I mean, neither one, neither one of them is legitimately in the title shot, title picture talk right now. They might because the division's thin, but as far as legitimately being elite fighters, neither one of them, to me, is elite right now. They're just big names, and that means they're going to get opportunity. Yeah, it definitely is. It's going to be some interesting opportunities. What's next for him? Do you think Lawler gets the uh, welterweight title shot? Uh, what I've heard, if, if, if Woodley's out for a while, I wouldn't put it above the UFC to come up with an interim title. Because when Woodley said he was injured, I was like, man, you can't afford to be injured. They don't want that belt on you. They're looking for, they're looking for any excuse, any excuse to get a belt on someone else. And if Woodley, Woodley's out for a while, then, oh, we're just going to have an interim title. They already did it with Michael Bisping. They'll, and Michael Bisping actually has some fans. So you know they'll do it to Tyron Woodley. They'll do it to him in a heartbeat. So what else came out from UFC 214 that, that, that you liked, that you were uh, excited to see? Um, I was excited about the uh, that fight with Kaylee Coran and I forgot the girl's last name, Albu, I think. I can't remember. Uh, yeah, Kat, uh, um, Alexander. Yeah. Uh, excuse me, Alexandra. Yeah, that was Albu, that yes. was a great fight. As far as action fights, it wasn't necessarily important because Coran can't seem to put wins together because her cage IQ is terrible. Like she just does. She's she's all heart. She's all aggression. She's all athleticism. She has no defense and she has no cage IQ. And you, that, that's, how, that, that's how you know she's a dynamic athlete. She's just getting by on athleticism, and she's able to compete with much better, much more disciplined, much more skillful fighters based off of volume, activity, aggression, athleticism, and durability. She's, her, whole, her whole effectiveness is based off her athletic ability and her physical ability. And um, that was a great fight because Karan is just there to take punishment. She's not running from shots, and she's going to continue to re re return fire. And it was kind of sloppy, it was kind of wild, but that's the kind of fight you like to see when you really feel they're emotionally invested in it and you feel like you're kind of watching an actual fight in a sporting event. You know, because a lot of times there's an MMA fight, and when you watch that fight, it's like you're just watching a fight. And it's easy to get caught up in the action of it and kind of kind of ignore some of the technical gaps you saw on, on both sides. But it was a great win, it was a great fight, and I think um, Alexandra, has, Alexandra has a good future in the UFC, she showed some power. She showed some athleticism, and when it push came to shove, she showed a little bit more discipline, offensive sharpness, and cage IQ. And I think that was a good start for her. That she's gonna have. She already has a name, and when you have a fight like that, the UFC rewards that with giving you the fight you want. And she's clearly shown that she can give them the fight, the kind of fights they want. Yeah, she can definitely do that. It was a um, it was a hell of a showcase there, and I and I, I liked it too. It was a good opening. It wasn't the opening fight for the for the night, was it? It was like the second or third, but it it was um it was something I, I definitely enjoyed, and I watched the whole thing start to finish. Yeah, I mean, Kaylee Franz got like one win and how many UFC? Maybe two wins and like six UFC appearances. But this is why they keep her around. She has not been in a bad fight since she's come into the UFC. Every fight she's been in, whether she loses loses more than she wins, has been. A high-paced action fight. I've never seen her in a bad fight. So she's got a. Even though she hasn't shown that she can compete at this level or win at this level, consistently she's shown that she. Anytime you put her in there, you're gonna get your money's worth. She's worth every penny she's paid. So let's see. Let's see. This um probably probably the most important major stories coming out of UFC 214. 
was this show is trending to be over um, 700 buys, which I think is pretty, pretty a, a big deal. With knowing that, how can the UFC top this? It's their biggest event of the year, biggest event since the sale. Can they even top it? The all, they, to be honest, I don't know how they top it because, I mean, it's going to sound like I'm throwing shade at Tyron. The fact that they made it to almost 800,000 with him on the card is very impressive. You know how many all-action fights they had to make to make up for the hit? co-main event did to their did to the brand of the UFC 214 I mean they had John Jones coming back they had to have him they had to have Cyborg and they had to have Donald Cerrone just to level that out because the last two times he's been a co-main event defending his title he, he has not given us a lot to work with and people think fans don't remember stuff like that they do that's why they only pay for certain cards and ratings for certain shows are higher than others because certain guys are on either unpopular or certain guys are known for putting on boring fights and nobody wants to take their Saturday night or their hard-earned money to pay for it. I don't know how they top this card because, I mean, there were just so many talking points. I don't think they can. I mean, I guess you put Jones on another card, but Cyborg's going to be in contract negotiations. Uh, Woodley's sideline. I think Cerrone's out for a while from the fight or maybe... No, I think him and Lawler are fine, but... You know, this was like the perfect storm. This is basically the best they had to offer as far as name and guaranteed action in the fight and, and as far as a build-up, you know, because Jones and Daniel have the beef, that real life back and forth between them. So there was a lot of selling points for this fight, and I don't know that they'll have another card. Will they have, they'll have fights that are comparable as far as the skill set, as far as the build-up and the talking points. And the build-up and the talking points is what brings in all the casual fans. That 350, 250, that's all hardcore. The casual people are when you get over 500,000. That's when you that's when you start hitting casual. And right now, UFC is just hitting the hardcores because they're put, they're providing good fights with with popular MMA fighters, which is the difference between being a popular fighter, being a being popular and being a popular fighter. This is the best card they have with the most guys with the most crossover appeal and the best styles that matched up together. I don't, I don't know what else they can do, to be quite honest. I don't expect them to have another card unless Conor McGregor comes back. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It has to include him. It has to include him, and it has to include something else big on it, too, as well. Or I think after, Yeah, there's that, too. I, I think this um, this uh, situation coming up after the Mayweather fight, they can, the next fight after that could be something huge that, that, that definitely uh, blows out, out the water. There's one more thing I want to talk about, uh, UFC 214. Uh, we mentioned this before, Daniel Cormier's mindset. I'm really interested to see what he does moving forward. Because Daniel, he's always been, he considers himself kind of one of the alphas, one of the biggest, baddest guys out there. And outside of Jones, he's essentially one of the biggest, baddest guys out there. And I'm talking about all-time mixed martial arts. But it's got to be very mentally draining and hurtful and damaging to know that you gave the best you have. This guy's coming off a 15-month layoff, totally rusty. You've been handling everybody else, and he comes out there, and not only does he hang with you and take your best shot, he finishes you. The fight you had the first time, it wasn't as competitive, but you made it all five rounds. In this fight, you couldn't even, you made it about halfway, and then you had the lights put out on you. And I just wonder how this affects him moving forward, because he's always said he's not here to be number two. And even if he moves the heavyweight and won a heavyweight title which would be the only way he'd get another shot at Jones by proxy he'd be number two anyway because Jones has already handled him twice mm -hmm. so it's like for a guy with his mindset and a guy with his perspective on competition I wonder if he's able to continue competing because for him to continue competing he'd have to admit 
I'm not the man. I am clearly not the best because this guy has beaten me decisively two times. And the second time he beat me, he hadn't fought in 15 months and he was nowhere near being as sharp as he will be in another three months. I'm with you on that, man. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to see what's next for him in the near future. Um, I'm not sure, man. I, I, I hope he doesn't walk away from the sport. He has opportunities outside of it, too, as well. But I think that that, that was a very bad loss, and, and his reaction was very clear that he took it definitely very hard. It, it's actually, and it, it's, I feel for him, and it, it, I feel for him because he just seems like a good guy. I know he, 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 he's, he's got that cocky thing that comes when you know you're a fighter, you're an athlete who's of a certain level, but he seems like a really good guy, and it's not the romantic ending that happens in the movies or the TV shows. He, I mean, he still has his wife. He has his kids. You know, he's he's held a light heavyweight champion. He was one of the best wrestlers in the world. So it's not like his life has been all terrible, but his life has never been about being number two. And while he's probably one of the best people as far as personalities and training partners and coaches in the world of MMA or wrestling, the fact is he's only number two in the actual thing that he invested so much in, which was fighting. And it's like, it's, it's just one of those things where John Jones is essentially the baddest man in the world. And we don't know that he's a very nice person. I'm not saying he's terrible. I don't know him personally. But he doesn't seem like the nicest person. He doesn't seem like the kindest person. And it's it's like one of those things that reality isn't like like the fantasy. The fantasy, the nice guy wins. He's the baddest guy. He beat the bully. And um, it's just not the case. Uh, Daniel is probably the better guy. He's probably, he might even be the better father. He might be the better human being. But he's not the better fighter. And because he's not the better fighter, he's going to be the subject of some ridicule. And he's going to be looked down upon in the history books to a certain degree. Because just like in those other sports, you can be as nice as you want to be, but did you win the championship? Were you the best? Yeah, he's a nice guy, but he can't play. Yeah, he's a nice guy, but he wasn't the best fighter. You know, we all know in the real world, it matters to your family. It matters on a certain front. But whether you can perform your level, your job at the highest level is what really defines you. And he's, he's been shown twice he can't do that. He can get to the highest level. He just can't. He can't get over that hump to where he is at the highest level. And yeah, that's just, getting over that hump some, is, like, is the key. There's some. There's something depressing about that, you know, because he's a really good guy. I mean, he. I love my wife. I have everything I wanted. I'm just so proud of this. I just want to make them proud. And you know, he gave everything he had. And it's just like for it to end that way, it, it it made me feel some kind of way, man. I mean, I'm not even the biggest Daniel Cormier fan, but just as a person who's a hardworking guy who takes care of his family and, and helps kids and actively spe- speaks and lives that lifestyle, it kind of hurt to see him lose. You know, it, it really did on a certain level. Yeah, I, 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 I won't disagree with uh, what you said there. So I want to touch on really quickly the Pettis versus Moreno main event for this weekend. What are your early thoughts on, on that fight there? Who takes it? Um, I'm going to say Pettis takes it. I think Pettis, he, um, he's fighting. He doesn't fight like Anthony anymore. He's become more disciplined. He's become more varied with his offense. He works at a higher work rate. And unlike Anthony, he has a sense of urgency because he doesn't have that dynamic athletic ability or that durability. Brandon Moreno is very aggressive. He's great on the ground, transitions, and he's a finisher. But he's kind of like Jason Knight in the instance that he depends on his toughness, his aggression, and his finishing ability to, to win the day. And when you're facing a guy who can take advantage of mistakes or who can make you pay for leaning on your durability a little bit too much, I think that's going to be the difference. Pettis isn't going to make a lot of mistakes, and I fully expect Moreno to make a lot, trying to impose his will or his physicality on Sergio. Just like Jason Knight tried to impose his physicality and his will on Ricardo Lamas. 
he let Llamas get into a position where he could go to work. Llamas went to work, close it out. I feel Pettis is going to do something similar. I think Pettis isn't as durable or as dynamic as Moreno, but I think he's going to make less mistakes. He's a little bit more disciplined coming in, and I think that's going to be the difference. Yeah, I'm looking forward to just that main event. There isn't much else on this card that kind of caught my attention, but um, I think that this is going to be an interesting test for Brandon Moreno and especially Sergio Pettis because he was looking to get um, the title fight against Demetrius Johnson. It's it's actually the most exciting, the second most exciting fight, and actually third most exciting fight in the division history. First was Demetrius versus Benavidez a rematch. Second was Benavidez versus Cejudo. And then this fight is actually getting a lot of play and a lot of run across Twitter and the MMA community. So it's a real, it's the best fight you can make in division. It's one of the best fights in division this year. It's a, it's six against seven and two guys who have been looking more and more impressive in each and every win they've had. And they won in different ways, using different approaches, emphasizing different points of attack. And it, you know, Moreno came off the ultimate fighter and he's been on a streak. He's just been wa walking through guys. He's looked amazing. And Sergio, after a rough start, is kind of refocused himself, and he's really been the better Pettis in the past two years. He's really outdone Anthony as far as consistency, technique, sound strategy. So this is a really good fight. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited for it, and I hope it does really good ratings because these guys are the kind of guys who are capable of, of kind of leading a division and moving it, taking the sport to, the, to its next phase. So let everyone know what you're working on uh, this week since we're um headed up towards the end of the show. Tell everybody what, what you're working on and where you um, find them. I, I actually did a, a piece on se severe MMA. I did one breaking down uh, Sergio Pettis versus Moreno. It really is more oriented towards Sergio Pettis and talking about the changes he made and how they've been shown in his last couple fights. And it kind of touches on the things I discussed about the Moreno fight um, today. Um, I'm also sh on MMA ratings. I should have my piece coming out on Random Marcos versus Alex, Alex, Alexa Grasso. This kind of focuses on Grasso and it talks from the position of what are the do's and don'ts that Grasso has to have to win the fight. This, this is what she needs to do to win the fight and this is what she doesn't need to do to win the fight. And that'll be coming, that should be coming out this week. And then I actually have another part piece coming out. I think it'll be coming out this week on Combat Press and it's actually breaking down the, uh, the value of a camp and a corner, a good camp and a good corner, and it kind of, kind of, allows me to echo some of the points I've made on this show about what a, co a good corner does, what a good camp does, what a bad camp does, what a bad corner does. It's a a kind of pointed article. I expected to get some feedback from people in the coaching community, but that's why I did it because, you know, I'm very passionate about protecting the fighters, and half of protecting the fighters isn't just getting them paid; it's training them in a manner where they can win their fights, and if they lose their fight, they don't take a huge amount of damage and shorten their career or their lifespan because they don't know how to properly defend themselves. Yeah, I think that that'll be an interesting piece to read. I'm looking forward to that. Um, I'm putting together, I'm trying to work on something for Colin Kaepernick. You know, we, uh, I do do dabble into the NFL side as well. Since this has a social conscious angle on it, I'm looking forward to finally finishing that research and putting that piece together. Um, I, I, I will. You need to send that to me directly on Twitter. I need to see that. I'm yeah, very interested I'll, on your stance on that. I'll make sure you see it, man, as well. I'm doing something on uh, Rashad Evans this week, and I'm looking at probably one or two um, grappling pieces that finish up for this week as well, too. It's going to be pretty busy. Oh, I, you know what? I have, to, I have to apologize for you. I know I, I know it was heart-wrenching when Maya didn't win that fight. Because I, I know if Maya won that fight, we were going to be talking grappling 
all day, every day for the rest of the year. <laughs> and the thing is, though, what, what we're talking about now is just as interesting to me, so I won either way. Yeah, that is true. That so, is true. Um, but I, I know you wanted that win. I know you wanted it for Damien, but you wanted it for yourself. Yeah, there you go. I know you, you wanted that. that win for yourself. You're definitely right about that, man. So with that in mind, man, I'm going to go ahead and close out the show. Uh, you can catch us back here next Thursday, same time, 8 o'clock on the 10th. And we appreciate everybody listening to the show and catch us next week. Yeah, guys, thank you very much for your support. Uh, like he said at, at the beginning of the show, share, like. If you have comments, you have questions, you have things you want us to discuss, you can reach me on Twitter. You can reach Raphael Twitter, on Twitter. You can comment on the show directly. We will answer any and all comments, and we will, we will, we're always there to interact with you. Anytime you have a question or a concern about the show, we're here for you, trying to make the best show for you. Thanks, everybody, and have a great one. All right, sir. Take it easy.